you know, in the in the Senate, a 93 percent uh, Democratic majority. Um, so I kind of look at myself as more of a collaborator, more of a someone who's you know trying to do a little speak truth to power and and be you know objective and present different viewpoints in in um, not necessarily contrarian, but say all right, let's look at this from a different angle. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass area FM dial at 102.9. Here today for a studio session with State Rep. Sean Dooley. Sean, welcome to the studio. Hey, thank you very much for having me here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is the first time we're kind of doing this in this particular format, and Let's introduce you to the Franklin Arena, and obviously because you're a campaign for a state Senate spot that extends beyond Franklin, others will be listening to it as well, of course. Um, So let's do an intro in terms of what's your background, what's your short story, if you will? Perfect. Um, I'm, uh, let's see, Sean Dooley, and I'm a... You know, not a native of Massachusetts, but I'm a uh, Navy brat, so I've lived all over the country. My father served on active duty for over 30 years okay, and uh, continues to work with the Navy, even though he's retired about, uh, Retired and uh, about 82 years. He'll, he'll be 82 in a couple 82 weeks. 82 years young. Yeah, 82 years young. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he's uh, still working with the Navy and you know, on board ships as well, So it's uh, which is kind of, I think, I'd like to hope I get my public service acumen and also my work ethic from him, uh, but he, he outworks me any day of the week. Uh, let's see. I have uh, came to Massachusetts in 1993, and, um, you know, prior to that, I went, you know, did my undergrad at Auburn University uh, down in Alabama. Okay. Um, went to high school in New Orleans, so I kind mm-hmm. of... Uh, so I kind of have a, have a little bit of a southern background, and um, during college I had some. You know, that's where I kind of started getting involved in politics. I worked for Jeremiah Denton, who was a senator, um, who was the uh, highest ranking and longest held uh, prisoner of war during Vietnam, and he wrote the book When Hell Was in Session. Then I had the opportunity to uh, take a part in a leadership role in a gentleman named Guy Hunt's uh, campaign for um, governor of Alabama while I was still in school. And got a lot of notoriety because he became the first Republican to get elected uh, since Reconstruction. So uh, then I went and worked on the Bush campaign. Well, I guess for a second I worked for Al Haig for about 45 seconds. Um, I was his southern you know, regional coordinator. My very first meeting, I was driving to Atlanta, heard on the radio that he dropped out of the race. So I got off the next exit, turned around, <laughs> came back, pre-cell phones. You know, you, you, That's how you found things out. You're like, oh, I guess I'm out of a job. Uh, change of plans. Exactly. <laughs> then I worked for uh, George Herbert Walker Bush and then worked in the Bush White House and, you know, on his transition team. You know, that was kind of my early stage in politics. Then, you know, left politics and uh, went into financial services and moved up here in 1993 and it kind of was out of politics. And then I uh, you know, did triathlons and I was you know, you know, married and having kids and all mm-hmm. that good stuff. And uh, one of my uh, fellow triathletes was a gentleman by the name of Scott Brown. And so Scott, uh, we, we both lived in Rentham at the time, said, hey, you know, would you like to you know, help me out on, you know, on, on some of these things I'm doing? So that's kind of how I got dragged back into politics. Okay. And uh, kind of as, as they say, the rest is history. Right. Um, so, it, so that was that was kind of fun. I've you know, I should probably back up. I'm married. My wife is a uh, CC Vantine. Uh, she's an attorney, which um, she's a divorce attorney. So that's you know keeps keeps me on my toes. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know, 
you know, fortunately for me, uh, she, she has a good job, so that allows me to be a full-time state rep. And um, I have four children. My oldest is Caroline. Uh, she went to the Naval Academy. She's currently a first lieutenant in the Marine Corps. Then um, my, other, my other kids are uh, Emma is 17, uh, almost 18. Uh, Jack is 16 and William's 14, and mm. he's almost he'll be 15 tomorrow. So, uh, so busy household, and um, that's about it. I mean, I guess. Oh, you wanted to know other elected positions? Yeah, in, uh, since you're certainly you've run for uh, rep a few terms, if I right. recall. Um, but did you have any other in mass prior to that? I yeah. know you certainly had your. Yep. Nope. I was. Uh, I was. You know, on the zoning board of appeals, although that was an appointed position, and then I was an elected uh, school committee member, and I served four terms as, uh, four years as uh, chairman of the Norfolk School Committee, um, and then I became an elected town clerk uh, for the town of Norfolk, and then uh, when Dan Winslow left early, uh, he'd asked me to consider running. I'd never really wanted to be you know, in this world, mm-hmm. uh, per se. Um, and uh, so I'm like, you know what, it's, you know, we'll, we'll give it give it a go and see how I do. And and I got into it, and I really love the position. It's, mm. it's It's been, you know, not necessarily always the Beacon Hill stuff, but the constituent right. service stuff has been, you know, very rewarding. And so that was in January of 2014. And so I won a special there, and then I've won, won uh, election four, four more times. Four more times, yeah. Yeah, for yeah. doing the math, because every two years. Right, exactly. Yeah. Every, every two years. <laughs> seems like every 15 minutes, but yes. <laughs> Just about the time you finish and you're starting yeah, another uh, one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. You have a day off. Yeah, you have one day off, and then it starts all over again. I know I've tried to follow at least some of your social posts to at least become aware for the competitiveness of the race, et cetera. Um, the one piece that I, in terms of your page, the uh, Sean Dooley for Senate page, I find uh, clearly the obligatory, you know, donate here, join the team, et cetera. But I'm a little surprised I didn't find, and maybe I'm missing, maybe there are in other places in terms of kind of like some position statements or some other uh Policy pillars, if you will, or right. policy statements. Yeah, so, uh, so, maybe so, I missed it. Yeah, so on the about page, there's a there's a separate, you know, basically pillar section. Okay, um, which is more of one of my. Um, I have throughout COVID, I did this uh, nightly blog, and so I I end up having do kind of more of a long form okay. diatribe. And one of the, you know, I did a long form diatribe, you know, a couple, you know, month or two, a couple months ago, um, about. You know, who I am, what drives me, and everything along okay. those lines. And that was very well received. So I've decided, I'm like, you know what, instead of me putting it out there in very, very, you know, staid political form, sure. um, I I tend to ramble. I tra- tend to be a little um, conversational. Mm-hmm. In, in That's my writing style. So I just basically put that entire thing out there. And so that gives, I think, hopefully people a good uh, perspective into who I am, what drives me. And, you know, kind of about my fundamental beliefs. Mm-hmm. Sure. And we'll include for the listeners, uh, rather than trying to scramble for a pen and paper, rather than trying to write it down now, we'll include in the show notes, link to the page with links specifically to the, the deep part where you can get into those pieces. And awesome. confirm those with those. You'll be able to confirm those as well. So, Perfect. Yeah. Because clearly, at least what I'm doing here and what we're doing today, the, the conversational aspect is what we want, clearly. Right. Hundred um, percent. So we can get a little bit behind the scenes, get away from the, some of the, some of the sound bites, getting to more of the meaningful discussion as to who Sean is, what you're about, uh, what you're trying to do, and then people can make the choice. Right, and I think that's one of the things that we've kind of lost in politics these days. It's you know it's become so cold and calculated. Um, 
that you're you know don't really get an idea for who the person is. It's mm-hmm. you know it's everything has been so sanitized by handlers or uh, media personalities that you know you don't really get to know the person. And I think that's Im- incredibly important, especially you know rep and senator when you're you have such an intimate relationship with the public and you are their you know their closest representative mm-hmm. to the, to the, to Beacon Hill and to the the state government. Sure. And you know I think that is critical to be able to feel comfortable with those people. So it's not some scary behind the curtain politician. It's your friend, your neighbor, things along those lines. Sure. And if I recall, I think there's what, 13 communities in the district that you're uh, running ele- for? 11. 11. Okay. That I was going to say, don't add anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm running like a chicken of my head cut off as it is with 11 communities. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, I don't, I don't know how some of my colleagues out in Western Mass do it. That they don't because have like, Little cover. tiny towns, and they have like 40 and 45. Because yeah. it's all by geographics in terms of the population of voters, and then how do you con- combine yes. to create contiguous areas? So, right. you know. Yeah, because yeah. you're end up getting around 195, you know, 200,000 people. And, you know, some of those towns out there have 30 people. So right. yeah. it's, uh, I think that, that would be incredibly daunting to uh, serve one of those communities, and, mm-hmm. um, especially getting to know. 45 different town managers and 45 different select boards, you know, sure. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah, never mind trying to do door knocking yeah. and walking on the streets. Streets it's, may not have sidewalks right. in many of those cases. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's bad around here. I mean, we've got, you know, you know, especially like Dover and, you know, you have a two acre, you know, between houses. Out there you have, you know, miles between miles houses. Miles between, yeah. Yeah. So a couple of key points, at least in terms of some of your policy pieces, what should Franklin and any other listeners uh, know about you in terms of what your approach is? Yeah, I think my main approach is, a, you know, I, I, guess, I guess I model myself more after Charlie Baker um, from a from a centrist standpoint, um, trying to make it, um, you know, the reality is we have a, you know, you know, in the in the Senate, a 93 percent. A democratic majority. Um, so I kind of look at myself as more of a collaborator, more of a someone who's, you know, trying to do a little speak truth to power and, and be, you know, objective and present different viewpoints in, in um, not necessarily contrarian, but say, all right, let's look at this from a different angle, um, as opposed to, you know, this obstructionist that, you know, some, some unfortunately, some Republicans uh, attack they take. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, cause I don't think that's very productive at all. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's kind of how I try to see myself as a, you know, let's keep our eyes open, keep our ears open. Let's work together to find the best possible solution. Because I think one of the main reasons I'm running is because I think there needs to be more balance. I think there needs to be checks and balances more than likely more Healy will be the governor. Um, you know, Democratic governor with, you know, all constitutional officers are Democrats and, um, you know, then a 90 percent majority in the in the Senate. There needs to be some stopgap, someone that's willing to say, hey, wait a minute, we need to you know, pump the brakes a little bit. Let's look at this from a different angle. We're all trying to get to the same place, but maybe there's a better way to do it. And I think by having some more opposition in there, whether it's Democrat or Republican, you know, I think no matter who you are, a 93% majority is not healthy for democracy. Mm-hmm. I think you want to have more debate and discourse. And as long as it's respectful, um, I think that's better for democracy as a whole. Yeah. 
certainly to respectful discourse and in some of the social media places that's far from true there unfortunately so i tend to not participate in a lot of those particularly because of my role anyway so i can imagine you're having some fun in those communities as well it's 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 unfortunate um you know and i've noticed it just in my eight you know eight and a half years in um you know the discourse you know and granted i think a lot of this had to you know do not necessarily i won't put all the blame on president trump but you know president trump opened up the floodgates for that sure you know he acted poorly and that gave other people the opportunity to act poorly mm-hmm. and it became this you know you know race to the bottom um with a, with a lot of people and it's it's somewhat shocking that you know you see how neighbors treat neighbors and something that people would never ever say to your face right. um they're they're very willing to just you know, say horrible nasty mm-hmm. things. Uh, yeah. You know, it, you know, on their keyboard at you know eleven o'clock at night after a couple glasses of wine. Sure. And um, you know, it is you know, you know, I don't know, I don't know how it falls into it, but you know, I'm sure the fall of Rome had some version of social media because I really <laughs> do think it's the, it's the death knell of uh, democracy from the from that standpoint because mm. it it really has devolved into this um, us versus them, this completely divisive. Um, you know, approach to rhetoric, and then so much misinformation that's just being bantied about. Um, that was the reason I originally started my my blog was there was so much misinformation of people that I respected, and they're like, "Oh no, I've talked to so and so," and I'm like, "That doesn't even make sense because you're quoting a law that has nothing to do with True. you know martial law. You're, you're you're creating you know you're you're you know." Uh, conflating a, an economic policy with you know martial law, and and so I started writing you know from that standpoint of like, listen, this is wrong. This is why. This is how. These are the facts, and it kind of evolved from there, and it kind of take, took off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you've been going about Franklin and other the communities, uh, any particular themes that you're hearing in terms of concerns? What's what's the mode of the people, if you will? I, I think the biggest concern for everyone right now is inflation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it. I think people are very much uh, feeling it. They're worried about the downturn in the economy. They're not exactly sure. You know, there, there's so many dominoes that you know you know, could tip, you know, whether it's the, you know, the world food supply, what's going on with Russia, you know, you know, and Putin being, you know, literally a crazy, you know, you know, some mafia guy out of, you know, out of, out of some, you know, 1960s bizarre movie that you're just like, there's no possible way that could ever be real. And, and now we're, you know, here we are, um, to, you know, you know, gas prices, you know, the, the fuel shortage. Um, and I think that all ties in with our housing crisis as well, mm-hmm. because, you know, we're, we're in a position right now where we have one of my communities, Needham up in the north. You know, their average house selling price in June was $1.5 million. Sure. You know, that's kind of hard for the average person to, um, you know, to do that. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and these aren't, you know, super grand mansions. This is, you know, um, you know, a really nice house, but not. Yeah. what you would think of as a million and a half dollar house. Right. Yeah. Even in Franklin, I recall uh, last year, if I remember, there was a stat that we had set the top sale price, I think it was seven times during the year, and it ended up at like one five, one six, And clearly that's at the high end of the market. But even in the mid, I think we're still in, you know, the high sevens, high eights, high nines, which, you know, in terms of affordable housing, that begs the question for sure. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I mean, it's, and, and I think what we're, we're losing, and I think that's one of the things we really need to address is, you know, I think we've done a, we've at least tried to address affordable housing 
for you know for the lower income, but I think we really need to address workforce housing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, more that mid range because I think you know. You know the police and firefighters and and the teachers and nurses right. and, and you know shop owners, you know are are getting phased out of our communities and we're going to end up with these you know exclusive clubs as it were mm-hmm. of communities and and all of the support and people that actually work in the towns are all going to have to be living either out in Western Mass or New Hampshire or more likely than not, they're going to just leave and they're going to move to Tennessee and South Carolina yeah. and Virginia and Florida. Other cheaper states, wherever right. they are. Right. Yep. In terms of the mode, clearly uh, inflation, uh, have you been catching like even transportation, uh, obviously related in terms of the cost of moving, but like the MBTA and the idea of more mass transit and even in some of our communities, and I believe you're covered in to a certain extent with the GATRA and the regional transportation, right. and yet their services have been cut as well. Um, is, is that something that's been bubbling up through the, the conversations as well? Uh, yeah, I should say more so the, um, the you know, obviously people are very concerned about it, the cost. I mean, you know, let's face it, the MPTA is broken. It needs to be, mm. you know, you know, we, we need to take a very hard look at that. I think someone needs to have the uh, the, the courage, hopefully uh, Maura Healy, if she's governor, uh, will do this to come in and be like, all right, listen, we can't keep putting Band-Aids on this. It's right. not working. Yeah. Um, you know, and part of the problem is, you know, South Station and North Station has limited space. I mean, you're, there's, mm-hmm. you know, you're, 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 you're landlocked. I mean, you, you've got the ocean right there. It's not like they can throw in additional tracks. Mm-hmm. And so you only have a certain amount of trains that can come in at a given time and then, and then leave at the, a given time. So I think we need to look at, you know, breaking it down and having more like regional hubs, um, you know, where multiple trains can, you know, go into it multiple, you know, much more frequent times of day and then have, uh, more of a rapid transit, more of a bullet train going from those hubs, you know, back and forth into the city. And I think that will um, expedite it. It's easy for me to say, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's there's a lot of urban planners that are, might be listening. They'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, it's just we'll wave our magic wand. Um, but, you know, those are the sort of things that I think we have to start looking at. We can't keep basing our philosophy on a 1950s model mm-hmm. um, because it just obviously it's not working right um, because it's you know and as they cut trains because there's not as many people even less people ride it's you know it's yeah, a self-fulfilling so. prophecy and and you know you know you know I, I have friends that they're like I can't take the train because they're so limited if I miss the per you know the the one I have to take for whatever reason mm-hmm. or it's delayed then I can't pick my kid up at daycare in time. And after two or three times of me being late, you know, they're kicking me out. And, you know, same thing in the morning, you know, they don't open till six. So if I need to be taking, you know, you know, if I end up taking the, you know, 730 train, you know, to work, you know, now I'm showing up at work too late or or I'm cutting it too close. If it's five Mm -hmm. minutes late, sooner or later, my boss is gonna be like, hey, you've been late four times this week. You need to change something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of these things that we really, really need to address. Um, that being said, I think the MBTA has made a huge mistake with uh, expanding their service once again to Foxborough. Um, there's been no reason for it. Um, they actually cut lines from Walpole, you know, from the from the from the Franklin Franklin, Franklin line, line sure. in order to, you know, give, you know, Foxborough, which is purely a uh, a, 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 
a spur. I, well, it's a spur, but I, I was I was trying to I was trying to be politically correct of uh, saying you know a a, a, a a bit of homage to uh, Bob Kraft. I mean, it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's you know, it, there's no other reason for it. Right. Um, and they've set forth it's cost almost fifty million dollars that they've spent so far in buying the line and fixing it up and everything like that. And their goal now, they told us two weeks ago, um, is to get um, to have eighty four. Uh, segments, you know, a day on the line. And so I'm like, all right, 84 segments. So that's 42 people. And they're like, oh, not necessarily. I'm like, no, it's a commuter line. They're, the same people go in as go out. It's not, it's not, there's not 40 people, two people that go in and then there's 42 other people that come out. Right. So their, their goal is their benchmark is 42 people in order to consider it a success. Mm. You know, it, it it's ridiculous. It's yeah. only being done to, you know, make that land more valuable for Bobcraft. Everyone knows it. You know, I've been very vocal about it. Um, and you're also cutting it, you know, and they're like, oh, well, look how successful it's been. I'm like, well, you cut the train line in Walpole and put the same one in in Foxborough. The people that had to take that train line just moved from, you know, Walpole over to Foxborough. You haven't added any ridership in whatsoever. Right. Um, so there, there's, there's, and I think this is systematic of the, you know, uh, hmm. symptomatic of the T that they do these things over and over and over again. The fact that we still don't have a ticket collection system at the point of, you know, point of entry. Point of entry. Clearly. And, you know, and yeah. it's, it's relatively easy mm-hmm. you know, to do this. You know, we, we're, we're, we're still literally taking a piece of paper and punching, you know, punching it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, I would say 50% of the time that I take a train, no one ever comes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think most people have, you know, they've, the audits they've done have shown that, mm-hmm. you, know, um, you know, a significant amount of people, I think 30 or 35%, are not paying at all. Yeah, especially from the end line. So you get on at Forge Park or Franklin. By the time you get to Norfolk, it's generally full, so they can't go through right. and take the tickets. So everybody from that point in is, quote, getting the free free ride. And the folks in Franklin and Forgebach are are paying for the ride, right. effectively paying for everybody's it's ride. Paying for everybody's, <laughs> and, and it's you know, and so if if London can do it, oh yeah, very seamlessly. Sure, you know, you go to London. You, the longest you're going to wait for a train is you know maybe six minutes, mm-hmm. and it all flows in, it all flows out. It's very, very, very simple. Um, this isn't rocket science. We, we don't have to invent, you know, reinvent the wheel. Um, these are sort of things that you just, it, it really is mind boggling about the bureaucratic nature of our, our, our government. Um, I can go on and on about the T. I can talk about there. Yeah. You know, and your, your writers are going to be like, uh, your listeners are going to be like, oh, yeah, this is, we're turning this yeah. off. Yeah. Well, we can't resolve the T, but everybody at least recognize that it is an issue. Yes. Other things that you at least want the Franklin voters and district voters uh, to be aware of? No, I think the most important thing is that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a local guy. Um, I believe in, you know, community service and community involvement. I think that's one of the most important aspects. I think the constituent services is the hallmark of, you know, of who I am. I mean, I think that's what I know personally, that's what drives me um, trying to help people. Um, you know, I've set up an office in, in Franklin. If I'm fortunate enough to be elected, I'm going to keep an office in Franklin because I think that's I think it's good to be part of the community and have that uh, hands-on approach. So if someone has a problem or has a question, you know, they don't have to schlep into Boston uh, to meet with me, and that way we can have you know actual you know a, a place that has you know has has a person staffed and. I think it's just important to be part of the community, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's one of those things. And it, I think it makes it easier for someone, if they have a problem, to you know 
oh yeah, I saw Sean at you know, you know, you know Panera Bread this morning, and you know we were getting coffee, and you know he said, oh, he gave me his card and said, hey, you know, you have a problem, give me a call. It's so much more less daunting, I guess. And I think I think that's the thing. I think people don't like to ask for help, especially from a stranger. So I try not to be a stranger. Okay, good. Well, thank you for taking time to come to the studio and to share your uh, story, because clearly I know from a campaign perspective, you, you've got a full schedule. So I certainly appreciate taking your time to come here and share the story with the Franklin and other district listeners who will be uh, making a choice before November 8th, on or before November 8th. I'm assuming all the communities you're, I've just seen the Franklin town clerk notification in terms of the uh, early voting hours as a former town clerk. Right. I, you've probably been paying attention to those yes. as well. Yep, and ma- mail-in voting you know, went out this week. Um, I think it went out probably yesterday. Um, so, you know, the process has started, and it's, you know, it, it, it is, you know, one of the things I do, you know, I dislike about it is, you know, I, I hate having all the signs out so early, um, but now you, you know, now you kind of have to. Yeah. It's know, not just it, a day it, of. Yeah, it's yeah. you know, it's almost a five-week uh, voting schedule now, mm-hmm. so which makes yeah. it makes it much harder from a campaign standpoint. Yeah. So, but hopefully, at least the voter turnout will increase with the accessibility of different hours, et cetera. So, and right. Ultimately, that's one of the key pieces, at least from my perspective, that you know our, our piece with this podcast is a small piece to get the right information to the people, so that exactly. they have a choice and have the knowledge to make that choice. Awesome. Excellent. So, well, thank, thank you, you so again. Much. Absolutely. Thank you again for doing that. And we'll include in the show notes uh, links to your page and to the drill down for your podcast, et cetera. And you'll be able to review those and then people will be able to follow through and contact information, of course, for Perfect. them yeah. to reach out. Yeah, I'll give my cell phone as well. And you know, that way, if anyone has any questions, they can reach me directly. It's, I, I think it's always, always better to go straight to the source. There's nothing like the source. Awesome. Indeed. All thank right. you so much. Thank you. And for the listeners, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.